Hello, uh, my name is Dmitry. Hello, I'm Vava. And today we're here to record our first podcast about international security and uh, all other interesting stuff that lies in between this. Yes, in our series we would like to focus on the topic of uh, international security and mostly transatlantic security and relations. Uh, we decided to make a podcast about this uh, because we're deeply interested in this topic and there aren't many news outlets uh, precisely about this topic. Yeah, exactly. And uh, besides this, we wanted to bring some uh, academic perspective uh, into podcasting uh, because like, we're both like students of uh, John F. Kennedy Institute uh, at uh, Fry University. And we think it's a good idea, so other students can uh, use our ideas. So, like, think about like international relations and international security through academic perspective. And yeah, I guess that's how it works. Yes, we'll be discussing current political issues, international issues, applying academic reasoning to them, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So let's start. So, possibly the most uh, interesting and the most heated topic right now in terms of international relations and security will be Syria. In addition to the civil war that has been going on for quite some time already, we have some interesting developments right now happening there with the Turkish offensive against the Kurds in northern Syria. Yeah, uh, I would say kind of Syria uh, hit the headlines recently just because of this, uh, like, um, Kurdish uh, like offense operation by Turks and like uh, American withdrawal, par- partial withdrawal from uh, Kurdish re- region, and so yeah, an, an interesting question to understand and to process why it's happening right now. I guess like there can be numerous explanations, and that's why what we want to uh, demonstrate to you that it's not like kind of connected to one factor, but probably to many, many more, many more factors. It is very interesting because of the game of alliances that plays out right there. Officially, Turkey is an ally of the US, and so are the Kurds. And currently we're facing two US allies facing each other. Uh, and we have Russia in the equation, who officially supports Bashar al-Assad, and also Turks are pretty close with Moscow recently. But right now, they stood against the US, they stood against Russia, because Russia condemns their actions and actually plays against them. So did Turkey isolate, isolate itself by this move on the international scale? Um, I wouldn't say so. I mean, uh, this, the whole uh, question of bargaining, I guess, from Turkish side, because uh, there's definitely some bargaining between uh, like uh, Turkey and the US, between Turkey and Russia, regarding uh, like just like, and I guess just Turkey wants to enhance its positions because for Turkey it's like like definitely important to be uh, not not to say dominant power, but just like to be great power in the region. But um, I mean, uh, I, I would turn like my my vision and perspective from like kind of international level probably to domestic because it's mainly more explanatory in this case because in Turkish case uh, Turkey has like very turbulent situation in terms of uh, I mean uh, recently Erdogan lost uh, mayor elections in, in Turkey and that's maybe one reasons why he can launch this offense like to and maybe it's another reason for Trump to withdraw from Syria because like he's under impeachment process and it's a good kind of thing that can um, attract attention of other people so people won't think about uh, impeachment so much 
Well, in terms of Donald Trump, did it really help him? Even the Republicans are, are criticizing his decision to abandon the Kurds and leave them for just for themselves against the Turks. Even even the Republicans are against some, not, not all of them, of course, some of them are against this decision. Did it really help him? Yeah, that's, that's definitely, it, it, I mean, uh, Trump always, uh, it's not a big news, I, I guess it was uh, for some, I guess I can remind, recall, like to, uh, the year 2018, uh, Trump already kind of emphasized the, 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 the need to withdraw from Syria and need to withdraw American troops from Syria, and there was like a decision made, and then he kind of uh, abandoned this decision to withdraw from Syria finally, but... Um, I, I don't know whether it, like, it helps him, I and mean, it, it definitely doesn't help him like uh, domestically, but I mean, it still, it still kind of distracts like, opponents from like, probably some uh, other stuff that is going on in the US, particularly, I guess, impeachment. And yeah, I mean, Trump and Trump's thinking is kind of peculiar uh, one, uh, and it was like unexpectedly. Yeah, the same. And what do you think about this? It's kind of like just announced like in a few hours and then the like withdrawal um, followed in two or three days. Yes, this is this is actually very interesting. And this is why many people uh, think that it was all agreed with Turkey because it happened so quickly. And right after the U.S. started the withdrawal, Turkey entered, Turkey entered uh, Kurdish grounds. This is why many people have this conspiracy theories that Basically, Washington gave a green light for the Turkish offensive, even though they, they do not admit it. Yeah, I mean, so all, all troop movements, they definitely have some coordination, if it's not like on a political level, but on a military, uh, military level. Even like Russia, for example, Russia and the US still have like this joint co uh, operational committee when they kind of like should uh, uh, announce their decisions beforehand in order to have casualties and uh, then, um, unexpected events and going on. But yeah, and let's let's maybe focus like a little bit on Europe. Why is it important for like transatlantic security? Uh, I would name like migrants probably. Yes, the issue of migration is the most uh, important one for the European Union right now. Uh, well, we're currently in an era of, of what many call a migration crisis in Europe. And, well, Turkey plays the migration card as a bargaining card in international relations. They basically threaten the EU that if they condemn their operations, we're going to send more uh, migrants your way. We'll just release them and they'll flood your uh, job markets and take yeah. your stuff and we'll be an apocalypse Definitely. for you. And uh, especially... I mean, this uh, populist rise is just like a fuel, good fuel uh, for them, and a good like kind of endorsement of populist. I mean, if you if you want to to see this from this uh, kind of side, yeah. And uh, we also can I can also recall, for example, Germany's uh, proposal to yes. uh, introduce kind of internationally uh, recognized kind of safe zone or something like uh, internationally patrolled safe zone. I mean, the idea was kind of eventually abandoned because uh, I mean Germany relied, I, I guess, uh, on NATO forces, I guess not NATO forces, but like the US forces, because it was kind of unclear uh, who going to like take responsibility of this neutral zone. Well, definitely not Germans. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. And uh, finally, what we have now is uh, this uh, kind of Russian Russian-Turkish security zone, uh, due, like uh, based on agreements like uh, from last week, when, like Erdogan visited Putin. Um, yeah, and 
Um, but it's still going on, and I guess there will be some more events um, coming. What do you think? Or the next developments that you expect? Well, uh, additionally, I would like to say that whether or not Trump is a winner here or Erdogan is a winner or loser, I can for sure say that Bashar al-Assad is a winner here. Winner here, because basically he solved himself for himself the Kurdish problem. Right now, his troops are entering Kurdish grounds; they are cooperating. So this maybe maybe we'll see the uh, resolution of the Kurdish issue in uh, Syria soon. Right now, Kurds and the Syrian government are cooperating against a common enemy, basically. Well, yeah, it's it's also an interesting question because, like, you can remember, I guess, in 2014, maybe before Russian uh, moved troops there, like that, everyone was like, okay, it's it's, it's going uh, it's going to end fast, and the air, like um, Assad just doesn't have like any future. And like from this now, like now, now, now we can see that uh, it's uh, the, like people were wrong, and it's definitely uh, flip flopped. And now uh, Assad like has all the power, almost all the power, uh, power uh, of uh, origins that he fought. Um, and yeah, I guess this uh, problem of courts. Uh, can be resolved because uh, Russia especially works very hard like uh, Russia works with Kurds uh, at the same time and it works with Assad it works with Turkey and Turkey for example uh, doesn't support like Assad officially I mean it's it's an, it's an interesting process going on but I guess uh, maybe we can look at the perspective that um, uh, America just abandoned Syria in terms of like it withdrew from, from the Geneva process um, uh, with, with Trump and after that the, the whole process uh, deal making in the region kind of in, in this particular area conflict zone um, now locates in, in in this Astana process like where it's like Turkey uh, Iran and um, uh, Russia so um, that's also like um, then we can see how this American kind of not isolationism we can say kind of affects international politics and affects this international politics in this region. Yes, I guess here we see a change in U.S. foreign policy uh, regarding deployment of troops abroad. Uh, maybe it's the beginning of a gradual return to isolationism or at least withdrawal from mm, being present everywhere in the world and being the world's policeman. Yeah, but it's still a question when they're going to withdraw like all troops there because there's still some. Um, and um, are they going to like uh, now they're like old troops like troops that withdrew from uh, Syria they're now stationed I guess in Iraq and it's like the question whether they're going to stay there or going to be dislocated there like vis-a-vis -vis, like Iran and vis-a-vis -vis, like this threat or they're going to like be sent home um, that's another question but I guess let's probably kind of warp up this uh, topic about Syria uh, but it's it's you should like definitely pay attention to this uh, in the future because it's it's in the news. Yes, definitely. Well, what I can say about my predictions is that uh, you cannot predict what Trump will do. <laughs> so uh, and also there are so many factors to take into consideration that it's impossible to see how this will play out. So to guess how it will play out. So I guess we'll have to just wait and see. Yeah, uh, nothing to add. Nothing to add. Uh, and we're moving to the next topic. Uh, you know, uh, and this is the budgeting. So, and the next topic that concerns, uh, I guess, that should concern a lot of Americans and that concern us uh, is uh, a budgeting in the U.S. and particular all the process that uh, refers to 
um, military budget budgeting and the military um, uh, budget. Yeah, it is now in the in the uh, in the process of uh, procedure, the purpose of uh, improvement. So, uh, what do you think about what was going on there? And <laughs> well, uh, from what I can see, the Republicans are asking for an increase in defense spending which uh, faces some opposition to Congress, especially that some Democrats are even for de-armament. Yeah, the, the biggest in, in American history. Like yeah, way, way bigger than even after uh, 9-11. Yes, it's interesting that in an era after the Cold War, which we'll think that we'll see de-armament, we see uh, pushes to further deployment of troops to multiplying uh, the amount of nuclear weapons as well. Uh, so, what do you what do you think pushes the Republican Republicans to to push for increase in military spending? So it's it's interesting for me because I've like thought a lot about this, and I guess I guess it just uh, I guess like, like like a few factors. Like I guess the most important like for me it's like just this uh, in, um, hysteria hysteria about uh, about uh, Russia and China. It's like the main idea that America should respond and America. Uh, should enhance its positions, and for me, it's also important the factor that it's primarily driven by this uh, like security apparatus, so to speak. There's like a big chunk of uh, American bureaucracy that's uh, somehow connected to military, like to to, to security and to military. Um, and it's a Pentagon. It's uh, uh, yeah, and this is um, so. Uh, uh, would you? Would you say it's like a very big increase for you, like just? Well, let's start from the fact that the U.S. already has enormous military spending. Enormous. It's unmatched by any other power, even China, Russia. I mean, well, not yet. If you least. sum up all like military budgets, I guess it, it's still not be enough to kind of catch up with America. Yes. So uh, it's interesting why the Amer some of the Americans want to push for even more. I think no one really questions their domination in terms of military power. They have tons of aircraft carriers deployed all over the world. There, there are only two nations on the planet that have nuclear-powered uh, yeah. carriers. Uh, they have troops in the Middle East. They have troops in Europe. Uh, and more troops are being deployed to Europe. Some troops are being pulled out from Syria. But that doesn't mean that the American presence in the world, well, it's by no means diminishing. Uh, By no means. I is this is this like uh, is this uh, some symptom of the American fear of China that they're going to surpass them uh, soon? Yeah, I guess if I I, I look at I look at this from like these two perspectives because like first I guess it's like just the idea uh, that it's still kind of very influential like in in American like security circles. It's like we just need to be first. We just need to outpace. So it's like. We always need to deter and we always need to be well more equipped, be well more prepared than our enemy, potential enemy. It's just like they like I would say it's academic idea because like it's it's just like this is the whole idea of deterrence is um, kind of is rooted like uh, in the Pentagon in the Pentagon and all this uh, system. Um, and second, just um, I just say that they want money because uh, they can get them. I mean, there's just idea of bureaucracy because if they have a chance. To have more money, they don't. They, they don't want to lose it. You know, they just want to like go and just build this stuff and build this. And it's also like provide 
um, working places. If you like, go to even go to like the demise of INF, for example. If you go to the idea of uh, coming back, like to like to to, to, like, to the actual building this uh, nu in, uh, uh, intermediate range uh, nuclear missiles, it still provides some, for example, um, uh, workplaces. Yes, about the workplaces, I guess you can stretch it a bit. Maybe it is aimed at fueling the arms industry in uh, in the US. Yeah, exactly. For example, let's look at the main benefit, like the main uh, factor, uh, airplanes. Basically, the main manufacturer of military airplanes, Boeing, right now is not doing too well uh, on the market. They have some failed products, civilian ones. So maybe they will want to, I know, regain some steam by getting uh, military projects and getting uh, some commissions and getting new jobs from the government. Oh yeah, I guess they're just thirsty. They thirsty for this. Uh, it's like just the idea. I mean, if you just understand how much this budget is, I mean, it's it's it's, a, it's not just a lot. It's like it's it's enormous. It's, it's enormous. <laughs> Um, yeah, you, you you can feel this uh, vibe. I would say from people who just want, who just like wanna, just really spend this money on defense. Uh, and I mean, it's a very good reason for them because I mean, it's easy to justify your actions when you say, okay, okay, Russia does like this stuff like with nukes, and uh, China modernizes its military very fast, and so, uh, uh, and so uh, we should do as well. Like we should do the same, but. Yeah, uh, I guess like the whole uh, now it's uh, what kind of uh, on the road uh, of approving this budget. Like there is like this hurdle of um, Democrats that really oppose the idea of uh, tactical nukes that kind of introduced like you know, that was that that were proposed in this uh, budget. So what's how why is it important for you? Like for example, well basically. Uh Tactical nuclear weaponry already implies escalating the war from conventional warfare to nuclear warfare, be tactical, not strategic. But from just tactical deployments and usage of nuclear weapons, it's really close for it to escalate even further. Uh, like, come on, I'm sure that if anyone would use nuclear weapon in such a conflict, the other side would respond. And the, uh, the first side would escalate, the other one would as well. So I guess, I guess people are just afraid of using nuclear weapons at all. Yeah, I guess the idea is just disastrous because, like, I mean, he, like Trump said, like, we, ha we, we have nukes, why, why shouldn't we use them? <laughs> For God's sake, we've, we already have them. <laughs> and this is just idea, like, disastrous idea, just, like, to use nuclear, like, just tactical nuclear missiles, or low-yield nuclear missiles, just to, um, you know, win in the like conventional war. That's what, what they propose. They say, okay, we probably need some nukes for conventional war, which like, kind of sounds stupid. <laughs> Just the whole concept is stupid. Well, the whole concept originates <laughs> already in the Korean War and General MacArthur, who, pro who proposed winning the Korean War with nukes, and yeah. then the government opposed this idea. So <laughs> uh, this idea is a long story of being opposed. Yeah, we, ha we hope, I guess, like it won't find its place in, in current military budget. I mean, in, in military budget for 2020 but let's see i mean they push really hard and i guess it's the bone of contention right now and the idea is uh, um for a while like we, we haven't seen such like big debates about like military budget it's also very interesting um i guess uh, like we record this on wednesday today there should be uh, like some voting was kind of uh, on this military uh, sure. in, in Senate. And 
yeah, I guess it will take some time to approve it. And it should also keep track of this, right? Yes, we will for sure. Yeah. So, and um, I kind of finish uh, the discussion of, uh, um, of uh, military budget and go to our another topic. And now uh, we're going to discuss and kind of like the final topic for today uh, is like elections. And we have uh, two things to consider. It's like the last Canadian elections. Yes. And Polish elections. So uh, in terms of Canadian elections, is there really that much to discuss? I mean, we have basically the same government, uh, Justin Trudeau, leading the country. Yeah, but now with the help of uh, other parties, and he still lost his majority. And I guess, I mean, it's, it's not important in terms of security, I guess, so much. Uh, it's maybe important for people, just like the whole idea of uh, liberalism, because like he was a beacon, like and Canada was like literally like a beacon of democracy. It's like like the or, or, like the only kind of like democratic country that wasn't like so in like influenced by populists. Now it's uh, it's 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 not about populism right now, but I guess just about like. Trudeau and his difficulties, it's like, um, because like a lot of people call him hypocrite, because he like, just uh, because of this pipeline for, for, um, uh, that he wants to build and he still insists on building this pipeline despite like his, uh, all these uh, talks and all these like uh, he, ideas about the environment, for example. So, yeah, for me, for me, not really in terms of security, but probably in terms of ideas and just you know it's still even if you're liberal you still have to like you know um kind of do your laundry and dirty stuff because nah, it's it's a it's politics and you can't escape this yes true um yeah let's let's maybe move to um polish elections yes i guess here's something much more interesting happened because it was a kind of an unexpected result so basically the ruling party uh they won the election but by a far uh, lesser margin than they expected uh they got to uh, 235 seats in the parliament as a whole their coalition but the ruling party cannot rule by themselves they have 199 okay. Uh, seats. So basically they have to rely on two smaller uh, parties that are there in coalition with them who both have 17 seats. And here starts uh, a very interesting topic whether they'll be able to build a government together because both of the leaders of those smaller parties, that being Zbigniew Ziobro and Jarosław Gowin, they have a history of working against Jarosław Kaczyński. Okay. Uh, Jarosław Gowin used to be in the previous governments of the current opposition, so we cannot be sure if he will support the current government. And also we finally have leftist parties in the parliament. So that's a huge change. And why is this important for international relations? Well, first of all, the current government, uh, law and justice, is anti-European mm -hmm. Union, openly, very anti -European Union. and very pro-American. So uh, currently the relations between Poland and Brussels are very, well, deteriorating yeah, and rapidly. Yeah, like they're like uh, on their peak with the, with the U.S. <laughs> yes, and the relations with the U.S. are very good recently. The visas for Poles were ab abolished in the U.S. Uh, there are trade deals for weapons between the two countries. So it's an interesting fact considering that the entirety of the EU, EU has worse relations with the U.S., Poland being one of the few countries that still have a very good relation with the United States. 
Uh, and well, also it's very important for the European Union itself because many fear that after this election, uh, Poland will share the fate of Hungary. So we'll have Viktor Orban, who, oh, yeah, this. who rules the country, has the majority in the parliament always. And I think this is kind of what Kaczynski expected. Uh, you could see uh, during the election night that he wasn't pleased with the results. He was expecting more. He wanted to have constitutional majority so that he could change the constitution, but he cannot. So we'll have so he will have four more years of ruling, okay. but he won't be able to change the political last landscape drastically. Yeah, I mean, and Poland is uh, very famous. It's always have, like has been on the forefront of like this struggle against like authoritarianism and communism, like, but n- not only, but just against this the idea of uh, authority that kind of dominates uh, your everyday life. Yeah, and uh, I hope I hope things get better. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. But we'll see. They weren't able to subjugate uh, the judicial system during the last term. I will see if they'll try to do it uh, this time this around. Time. Uh, and which is, by the way, m- kind of main uh, grievance of the EU because... Uh, yes, yes, they tried to really subjugate the judicial system yes. to, to the government, which they didn't manage yet, but they're okay. still, they, they still, still say trying. that they will. Well, and what's sad that this reform has supported some of the people, well, many of the people, because the judicial system in Poland is really inefficient. Mm-hmm. You have to wait weeks to get a hearing in courts so they're selling this reform as improvement that oh we will kick out the judges who are lazy and we'll put to hard-working judges so some people support it and some just don't care because like oh i've never even been to a court why should i care about this this passive uh passive citizens is so is the problem of every every democracy every democracy maybe not so much like germany because like voters in out in germany is one of the highest in the world but the other people, like in other European countries, not so passionate. <laughs> yes. Well, I would sum it up that uh, Poland is a relatively young democracy. And if it survives the era of uh, law and justice and moves forward, I would say it will be like the, it will have successfully passed the test of being a democratic okay. country. If we manage to pull it off, okay. let's hope we will. Uh, yes, let's hope. <laughs> and yeah, just um, uh, I guess that's, that's it. Yes, so I think that's it for today. Let's finishing our podcast. The first episode. Yeah, first episode. Uh, I guess I hope it was good and you enjoyed it. Thank uh, you for hearing everyone yeah, who, who uh, sat down and listened. So thank you very much and uh, write comments, uh, responses, any ideas and personal, um, just personal ideas about this podcast and let us know what you think. Bye. And we'll see you later.